We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to discuss Jordan Peterson's view of the Bible once again, where he says that the Bible is the first book, the only book, the book that makes all other books possible. He says that it's the precondition for the manifestation of truth. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. Thanks for joining in. Thanks for listening. Today's show is on the Bible again. I want to circle back and talk about Jordan Peterson's interview with Joe Rogan again. What I shared with you yesterday was very important. And I think we need to dig deeper into this quote, this discussion, this idea that Jordan Peterson has thrown out. He's being very honest. He's not being political. He's not being pragmatic. He's being very honest about what he feels he has discovered in terms of the Bible's importance, not only in his own life, in his own search for truth, but in Western civilization's life, in the search for truth that all of us over the centuries have engaged in and how the Bible has influenced that. Peterson said that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth. And that is a very deep and meaningful thing to say. I want to talk about the definition of manifestation and what that means. And then we're going to build upon that. We're going to dig back into the quadrilateral. We're going to look at the specific issue of experience. What is our experience showing us? Not just our personal, individual experience, but our corporate experience. The collective experience of our communities, of our societies, of our countries, of our churches, of our nations, of Western civilization, and everything that has happened since the onset of Christianity. And what that did to our culture, what that did to us in terms of the way we live, the way we interact, the things we assume of one another, the values that we kind of think are self-evident values, such as civil rights, human dignity, telling the truth, justice, equality, equity. All of these things are grounded in something, right? All of these things must have some root, some soil, some foundation because we just didn't make it up out of thin air. Well, guess what? Peterson is saying all of these things are manifested, manifested, grounded in the experience of the Bible and the reality that it actually works, and you can't ignore it. That's today's show. So let's take a break, and when I get back, we're going to talk about 
Jordan Peterson's quote one more time, and then I'm going to share with you a ton of evidence that validates his claim on how the Bible is the first book, the only book, the book upon which all other books are written. They wouldn't be possible without it. And how it is the precondition for the manifestation of truth. In other words, what we'll, we will talk about today, excuse me, what we will talk about today is the second component of my four pillars for a worldview. Remember, the first one is the primacy of Jesus Christ, and the second one is the priority of Scripture. The third one was the pursuit of truth, and the fourth was the practice of wisdom. Well, Peterson is talking about a lot of these various issues in his commentary with Rogan, but I'm going to zero in on the second of those four pillars of a worldview today. The Bible is the precondition for the manifestation, the manifestation of truth. So we're going to talk about the priority of Scripture. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Oh, by the way, before we get into the topic for the day, I want to remind you that yesterday I thanked all of you for helping us hit over 50,000 listens this past month for The Rebellion. I mentioned that I thought it was around 51,000. Well, it appears that it's going to exceed 54,000 this past month. So we're growing. We're growing exponentially, and it's because you listen, and it's because you do something I've asked you to do, and that is give us a five-star rating out there on the platform that you use, whether it be Apple iTunes or whether it be Spotify or SoundCloud. Give us a five-star rating because that ups the algorithms. We get more attention. More people learn about the rebellion that way. And then be sure to copy and paste a link to your favorite rebellion episodes and post them out there on your social media platforms. Facebook, Twitter, Parler, MeWe, Gab, whatever you use, all of the above, please push the rebellion out so other people join in and listen. It keeps our growth and our momentum going. So back to the topic for the day. And by the way, I'm going to take a lot of the material that I'm going to share with you today out of a seminal work that was written by Josh McDowell years ago, but there's an updated version of that uh, that's only a handful of years old, if that. The book is Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and it was written by Josh McDowell, one of the key apologists, Christian scholars of the last 50 years or so. Josh is a good friend. He's a respected mentor of mine. He has shown me great favor, and I'm humbled and honored that he has. Josh is uh, pushing 80 years of age, but he still has the energy, and I am not exaggerating. He has the energy and the spring in his step of a 16-year-old. He is the ever-ready bunny, for sure. But he co-authored the revised version of Evidence That Demands a Verdict with his son, Sean McDowell. So the, uh, the complete, updated, and expanded classic, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Life-Changing Truth for a Skeptical World by Josh and Sean McDowell. Please know that I'm going to be getting almost all of my material from those two scholars. Now, I'm not going to go back and bore you with uh, constant citations. I'm doing it now so that you know that. So I won't be guilty of plagiarizing from two good friends and um, fellow soldiers in the fight to defend the 
faith that, it, that lies within. The fight to show people why a biblical worldview matters and why it is superior, why the Bible matters. So let's get back to that as the topic for the day, the Bible. Jordan Peterson said to Joe Rogan this last week that the Bible is the first book. He also said that the Bible is the manifestation of truth. He went on to say that the Bible made all other books possible. Basically, what I hear him saying is that the Bible is the foundation for our civilization, for Western civilization. Now, I think it goes beyond that. I'm not just going to claim that the Bible has impacted just Western culture, meaning Europe and the West, the New World, the uh, uh, American colonies, the United States and Canada, and the developing New World and South America and Central America and whatnot. I'm not going to claim that that's the extent of the Bible's influence because clearly it has reached to the East also in its influence and it's growing in that direction and likewise in Africa. But we cannot ignore that the very assumptions of justice, of liberty, of equality, of freedom, our government systems, art, in music, in humanities, our universities, our colleges, our hospitals, our musicians, our scientists, all of these things and all of these people, all of these individuals were heavily and are heavily influenced by the Bible, even if we don't want to admit it or acknowledge it. Well, Jordan Peterson is coming to the point in his life where he's telling Joe Rogan, you can't ignore this. The Bible is the manifestation of truth, the primacy of Jesus Christ and the priority of Scripture to get back to two of my four components of a worldview. He is saying the Bible is the manifestation, the priority of Scripture is the manifestation of truth. Now, what does the word manifestation mean? I'm not trying to be pedantic here and uh, suggest that you don't understand the definition of that, but I wanted to look it up myself and make sure that I wasn't assuming something. Because even words that we use frequently, we may, assuming, we may be assuming a definition that's a little loose. Uh, it's, it's helpful to go back and look them up once in a while is what I'm suggesting. So I looked up the word manifestation, and it's a noun. It's defined as an event, an action, or an object that clearly shows or embodies something. It illuminates. It brings something to light. Another way of looking at it is through the quadrilateral. Uh, remember, I always talk about history, reason, experience, and revelation. Again, here is something critical in what Jordan Peterson is saying, because I would argue he's zeroing in on experience, the third component of the quadrilateral. He's, a ben he's basically saying this. He is basically saying this, that the experience that we have with scripture shows us something. It's a manifestation of truth and that the reality of the Bible is this, that without it, without it, we're not going to experience the things that we have. We're not going to experience truth. The Bible is a precondition 
for much of what we enjoy in Western civilization. It's a manifestation. It enlightens. It shows us. It's something that illuminates and makes things clear that may have been shadowy and obscure before. The Bible is a manifestation of truth, of many truths. And let me share with you some of the facts, some of the facts of how Western civilization has developed and grown and matured over the centuries because of this manifestation of truth that comes from the Bible and how our experience with the Bible is part of that ongoing show, that ongoing illumination, the fact that we're part of the play, we're in the book, we're written into the drama. And as we participate in the drama of life, the drama of God's redemptive work, we see more clearly that this is only possible because the Bible being the precondition of the manifestation of truth. The precondition, the first book, the book that makes all other books possible. Books on science and education, for example. We wouldn't have science, we wouldn't have education without the Bible. One of the biggest myths of our time is this inflated and exaggerated idea if not totally fabricated idea, that religion or Christianity has somehow been an obstacle rather than a catalyst for the advent of science and the rise of higher education. That's just bogus. That's nonsense. We wouldn't have science. We wouldn't have science without the Bible. We wouldn't have higher education without the Bible. I mean, the fact of the matter is Christianity depicts God as a rational, responsive, dependable being. He's rational. He's lawful. He's stable. There's structure. As Sean and Josh McDowell say in their book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, both the understanding of a rational creator of the universe and the inseparability of Christian theism from from scientific truths led Sir Isaac Newton to ground his views of absolute time and space on the eternity and omnipresence of God. And they go on to quote Newton accordingly in his seminal work, Principia. Rodney Stark talks about the fact that Christian theism provided the proper context for the flourishing of science and the humanities. He then goes on and tells us that the university is a Christian invention. And I've, sh- I've talked with you about this before. I've shared with you the facts that the first universities came out of Christendom. You have the first universities in France, and then a handful of years later, you have the universities of Oxford and Cambridge. I mean, these schools, these liberal, liberal schools, these liberal arts schools, if you will, are grounded in Christianity. They're grounded in the assumption of a predictable God, of order rather than chaos, of law rather than licentiousness. These universities were developed so that people could pursue the truth because they understood that in doing so, they would have more freedom. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This is all Christendom. This is all biblical. And without the Bible, you wouldn't have higher education as it existed for a thousand years. 
And we can't allow it to be taken away from us now because of this ideological fascism that is prevalent in the town square, in the public debate right now. It's the antithesis of liberal education. We enjoy education, the pursuit of truth. We enjoy the practice of wisdom, justice, civil rights, tolerance, inclusion. All of these ideas that the progressive left has co-opted or grounded in biblical assumptions because none of it would make any sense if there wasn't something out there that manifests, shows us why this stuff is important. Do you get my point here? The experience that we have with our past, with the reality of history and how our culture has developed, for good or for ill, But I'm focusing on the good right now, the fact that we do have democracy, the fact that we do have a representative republic, the fact that we do cherish human rights and individual freedom, the fact that we do elevate the dignity of the human being, the fact that we have had a march for civil rights, the fact that we have abolished slavery, the fact that we do have schools, the fact that we care about health care rather than just letting people die. All of these things are the result of a biblical worldview. If it weren't for the Bible shining a light and showing us, manifesting truth to us, then these experiences that we've had in our historical march, you know, the left says you want to be on the right side of history. Well, why? What does it matter if it's just the survival of the fittest? Who cares about the right side? There is no right side. The fittest will survive. This argument of being on the right side, the correct side, the moral side, the just side, the tolerant side, the inclusive side, the equitable side, whatever good words you want to lay over the top of that, the loving side, all of these assumptions of the rainbow cabal are grounded in biblical assumptions because of the manifestation of truth that the Bible has brought into play. But they've just co-opted and twisted these things contaminated these things, even though there is great truth in the assumptions that led to their very agenda. As they shake their fist at the God of the Bible, they're grounding their arguments in the soil, in the soil of Scripture. Am I making sense here? I mean, stop and think about art and music and literature. We wouldn't have any of it without The first book, the only book, the manifestation of truth, as Jordan Peterson calls it. Look at the the great works of art. Raphael, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Rembrandt. We wouldn't have any of that without biblical, biblical manifestations. Our experience with art proves that something, something brought these artists to a higher plane of beauty and grandeur than just the subjective, than just the dark clouds in their own minds. There was something bigger and better than that. In fact, we look at grotesque and bad art and we see that it is kind of just a reflection of the struggle within the human mind as opposed to looking outward at the beauty and the grandeur of the world around us, the manifestation of truth around us. Look at uh, 
Look at literature. I mean, you, you, with, without the Bible, there's no Paradise Lost. Without the Bible, there's no Pilgrim's Progress. There's no William Blake. There's no, there's no T.S. Eliot. There's no Emerson. There's no Thoreau. There's no Negro Spirituals. There's no Gettysburg Address. You wouldn't have Burke. You wouldn't have Washington. You wouldn't have Patrick Henry. You wouldn't have Winston Churchill without a biblical worldview, without the first book, the only book, the book upon which all these other books are based. Now look at music. You have Bach and Mendelssohn and Handel and Brahms and Beethoven. Again, none of this takes place without the book, the only book, the book upon which all other books are written, even music books. Francis Schaeffer, the great apologist, talked about biblical influence on Bach, and he said his music was a direct result of Reformation culture and the biblical Christianity of the time. He then goes on and says there would have been no Bach had there been no Luther. What's Francis Schaeffer's point there? That without the Reformation, without the Bible, without Sola Scriptura, going back to the Bible and the Bible alone, the only book, the first book, the book that makes all other books possible, the book upon which all other books are authored, the book that has inspired science and literature and art. Without that book, without Luther's Reformation, then the elevation of that book, you wouldn't be talking about some of the classic music of our, of our time, some of the great music in the history of civilization. Social norms and values spring from the Bible. Almost everything we're debating today has a biblical premise. Again, using Jordan Peterson's language, the Bible is the underlying book out of which all other books emerge. This is Jordan Peterson's language. It's the text upon which other texts depend. Again, his language. So when we're talking about social justice, when we're talking about equality and equity, when we're talking about certain lives, all lives, black lives, white lives, all lives mattering, which I agree with, obviously. When we disagree with somebody like Whoopi Goldberg, who just yesterday foolishly insulted Jews by suggesting that just because of the color of their skin, that they aren't their own separate race, and that the Holocaust wasn't racist, even though the Nazis are the poster children of white supremacy, an Aryan race, a superior race. Does Whoopi Goldberg ever read a book? Sidebar, I digress. Forgive me for that. But back to the issue of social norms being impacted by the Bible, influenced by the Bible. Let's look at slavery and the abolition of slavery, for example. There is no question that Christian society, Christianity, Christian countries, Christians were the ones who led the march for the abolition of the slave trade. William Wilberforce, as I've told you before, fought for over 20 years on the floor of the British Parliament to abolish the slave trade. On what basis? The Bible. If, if there was no Bible, then he would have had no, 
he would have had no foundation upon which to stand in his argument for human dignity. It was the biblical assumption of the equality of man. It was the biblical assumption that we're all created in the image of God. It was the biblical assumption that you are to love your neighbor, not enslave him. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It was the biblical assumption of forgiveness. It was the biblical worldview that led William Wilberforce to fight for a quarter of a century to abolish the evil of the slave trade in Great Britain. It was the same here in the United States. And if you're listening to me and you're saying, yeah, but there were Christians that fought for slavery. Well, there were a lot of Christians who were wrong because they stopped reading their Bibles. Or they'd cherry-pick verses and not read the Bible in its entire context, as I've already described. So social norms and values, even those social values that we debate today, even those social movements that have been twisted and manipulated in an ugly way are still grounded in the biblical assumption. Otherwise, otherwise it wouldn't matter. Nobody would care. As I've said before, if it's all the survival of the fittest, if radical Darwinism is the is, is really what we believe, which we claim to believe out of one side of our mouth, and then we argue for social justice out of the other side of our mouths, it makes no sense because radical Darwinism presupposes that it's just the survival of the fittest, live and let live, the strong shall prevail, the weak will die, and that's the way it's supposed to be. That's evolution, folks. That's Darwinism. So why do we care about justice of any kind? There is no such thing. If it's all just matter, if it's all just material, if we're nothing but biological masses, some more evolved than others, if we're no different than the dog, the pig, the cat, or the cow, if we're animals, and if we don't have souls and we don't have a conscience, then it doesn't matter. Our social norms assume something. And why? Because the Bible is the manifestation of truth. Our experience tells us. It manifests something to us. It's the Dr. Phil question. Jordan Peterson is basically admitting that the Dr. Phil question makes sense. How's that one working for you? How's social justice working for you? How's the civil rights movement working for you? How's, how's, um, how's art and music and education working for you? How's freedom and liberty and the dignity of humankind working for you? How's feminism working for you? How are all these higher ideals of the human conversation, how are all these things working for you? You can't answer that question unless you have something that is shining a light on truth, something that's manifesting itself before you as being right and in juxtaposition, proving that other things are wrong. And that manifestation of truth, Jordan Peterson rightly is declaring to be the Bible. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.